0: Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing show. This week, we are looking at the topic of superannuation, a very important area for people to understand more about to make sure they're getting the best return and plotting out the best kind of retirement that they can expect. Make sure you take plenty of notes, and as always, make sure you take plenty of action. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter. And as always, my co host and offsider, Mitchell Lorenzel.
1: Thanks for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. Now, the topic of conversation today is very clear. It's something that you're a lot closer to being able to access versus myself, purely on the basis of our age. But I won't mm-hmm. go into that. What we're talking about today is superannuation, the kinds, and how to pick the right
0: one for you. It's an interesting one. Super, yes, it's uh, it's one of those things. I think as you're younger, uh, you kind of put off and don't really want to spend any time thinking about it because it, uh, it would seem irrelevant in a youth. And as you get uh, as you get closer to that retirement age for many people, it's something they obsess over because it's going to effectively have to fund fund their retirement. And I guess, you know, the purpose for this podcast, I guess we'll talk about different types of super, what they're about, and hopefully give people some meat on the bone as to what pathways they could be taking to potentially improve where they're at. Um, I guess, yeah, it, it's a really important thing and it's something to not bury your head in the sand over because, you know, one of those things in life is the earlier you get started, the earlier you get finished. And, uh, and super is a really good example of that. So uh, let's explore, see where we get with this. That's right. Starting young,
1: thinking long term, right, makes all the difference. So if we just, I guess we could probably... I guess make this as practical as possible, A.B. Let's talk about each group or kinds of supers and then we can talk about exactly how they work, why they work and what's involved with each of them. So probably the easiest would
0: be just your defined contribution. So a percentage of your salary, right? That's right. So current legislation, 10.5% for all of us, uh, a little bit more for our politicians, I think it's 17, 16.5% for our defence forces, and rightly so, I might add for those guys. Uh, But yeah, 10.5% of your salary uh, is your employee uh, contribution to your super, it's legislated, and that number has changed quite considerably uh, over time. So a defined contribution is where each month or each week that amount is is added to your superannuation account. On the other side of the coin uh, is something called a defined benefit, and you don't see too many of these anymore. They used to be quite prevalent um, a number of years ago, and they certainly uh, remain prevalent in the public sector. Decide what you will off the back of that. And that's where you're guaranteed a percentage of your final salary. and that can become very attractive. Uh, If I take my father-in-law, for example, he was a teacher and happens to be on a defined benefit pensions, one of the last uh, of that group to go through. And so for him, he gets a percentage of what his final salary was. And I guess that can give you a level of certainty uh, when it comes to retirement, and hence why they were quite popular. Where the shortcoming really sits for that type of super is that the income that's required to pay out the beneficiaries, the, the thousands of people that are on that deal comes from the asset pool itself. And if markets aren't delivering those kind of returns, what then gets depleted in the asset pool is, is the capital value of it, because that needs to then be used uh, to pass on as income. So it can leave more recent members or, or younger members in that scheme at a disadvantage compared to older members. My dad's on a defined benefit pension as well, yeah, Was what he put his money into. But again, if you're someone that that, that, that comes into that scheme later and the scheme assets are smaller, then you, your probability of getting paid that are much lower.
1: Okay, so if you are on a, let's say, a defined contribution mm-hmm. A, B, and you're getting X percent of your yeah. salary each week or month or whatever it is into superannuation, those funds are then obviously going somewhere, which would be, of course, either industry or retail
0: super for the most part, right? Yeah, the default for, for a lot of people would be uh, let, let's start with industry super. So, industry super, uh, you know, if you're in the in the hospitality industry, it'd be Host Plus. Uh, if you're in construction, it might be Cbus, and they're the the ones that you often see the adverts for uh, on the TV, where you know they're looking after the members' interests by investing in projects they build and things of that nature. So, uh, this one. That symbol on the ads? I think it may well be actually. Yeah, you know that, uh, that symbol? And, and, and that's nice, it's good to see. You. It that is, I watch that. ads a lot actually, I actually Impressive. really like them. Impressive, I hadn't, hadn't recorded that one but there we go. Uh, you don't get those on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills which is usually my evening consumption. You're going to take control back of the remote? Oh, I don't know about that. So Industry Super, it's a bemoth, uh, when you think about it, it's around 33% of superannuation funds by funds under management are in Industry Super. Um, yeah, and, and, and they provide a really good default for people to get their money going somewhere. Are they the best vehicle? Uh, do their returns stack up? Uh, do they give people the choices that they need? And are they run in the most efficient way? Well, they're a not for profit. So in that respect, it uh, should idea, be a good thing, they, right? It should be a good thing to reduce fees. Performance uh, typically aren't so bad either when you look at them versus a retail super. Um, are their fees really high? I've heard some controversial statements, not me <laughs> making
1: them, but hearing about them as yeah, regards well, to the fees they've been charging. Miscellaneous type, is that right? Yeah,
0: there the, the are a few issues there, and there was a royal commission not so long ago exploring uh, in more detail um, some of the areas within, particularly industry super, that needed to be expanded upon um, if your fund underperforms. For example, there's new legislation that means that you've got to write to your members and say, look, we're not doing a very good job. If you wanted to switch, we'd understand. And you can imagine that's a bit of a, uh, a difficult message to send out, but nonetheless is one that's right. Um, some of the other areas you know, of controversy, I suppose, within Industry Super, typically uh, they're focused on quite unionized industries. And there are contributions from those industry supers to unions within that industry. Uh, and the question mark is the efficacy of that. Um, you know, is it in everyone's best interest? To be making you know, multiple million dollar donations to a union uh, out of effectively uh, a pension fund,
1: but you're assuming you don't get to choose which unions that
0: donation goes to either, right? So you know that that sort of stuff there is, is is prompted controversy, and I guess it gives pundits like us the opportunity to try and shoot them down. Industry super funds play a very very important role in the economy. It means that people that are in a, a job are contributing towards their retirement, which for my mind is a massive plus. So there are benefits. People are contributing towards their retirement. It's the deep typically, there are shortcomings, there are flaws, uh, fee structure being one. uh, And and, and I guess, you know, some of the internal machinations of how donations are made might be another one for for, for people. Um, But nonetheless, they do provide a massively important role in there to get people started. But It's rather like when you start in the workforce, you might start with a part-time job, but that doesn't mean to say that's what your career is going to be. And I think over time, as you become perhaps a little bit more sophisticated or more knowledgeable with what other kinds of investments are out there, you may then choose to migrate to other types of funds over time.
1: Let's talk about that now. Industry Superfund, by the way, for our
0: listeners, around $1.1 $1. 1 would in Australia. It's massive. Absolutely. And and, and I, I think I'm right in saying this. I should have checked these stats, but it would be the, the biggest by volume of members, too, because yes. um, you know, there are a lot of lower income earners that are in there. Uh, if you think about host plus and the hospitality industry would be a good example of that. So that by, by membership base, it'd be probably the biggest as well. Let's chat now about retail Superfunds <laughs> AB. So this is about 20% or
1: so of the overall supermarket. Supermarket, the market of the superannuation market, superannuation market, big supermarket supermarket
0: in Australia. What are your thoughts there on retail super? Look, typically, if you've sat down with a a financial planner, um, you're going to be probably guided towards a retail super of some sort, and that might be the sort of thing that's provided by uh, no particular order company like MLC or Colonial or AMP, uh, where your money is then directed into a fund uh, that they look after. And I guess, you know, the attraction for, for retail super is that it gives the investor a little bit more choice as to where that money is being directed. So rather than being in a default industry super fund, you might choose to have some stuff that's a little bit more spicy and colourful, more conservative, more uh, environmentally friendly if you've got an ESG bias, for example, and you get to make those choices uh, through Retail Super. They're typically associated with a platform uh, where you know the financial planner has got all your assets on the one platform, which means, unfortunately, as per the financial planning industry, you, you might be tied to that particular planner's approved product list, so it might be a little bit more narrow uh, than the full gambit of the market. Uh, but again, it gives that sense of control to people, which I think is very important, and particularly given the fact that it's your money. So you do want to have some control over over where it's going. Um, You know, there are some downsides there. Fee structure-wise can be a little bit expensive, especially when you dial in whatever your financial planner might be charging you for the initial advice, revisions to advice, your ongoing fees, funds under management trails. So the fees can build up a little bit in that respect, Um, but you do have that element of choice and control as to where your money uh, is being deployed. So it does fit a a valuable uh, space, again, yeah, the Royal Commission came out and pointed to some to some fairly significant deficiencies uh, in the retail Superland based on you know some of the fees for no service and different things of that nature that were well documented through that so it's not without its flaws either and I guess it's like everything um, depending on the set of lenses that you want to put on you know you can take pot shots at everybody but there are some good aspects to it too so in just the same way the industry super is great to get people preparing for their their future on a on a on a on a fairly passive basis. Retail super gives people a little bit more control. So I guess it's a move further down the line uh, for people that want to have a little bit more control
1: personally on that it's funny you say this recently i did a bit of a spring clean of some of the stuff i've got going on and i did exactly that went into my retail super and changed the asset allocation to a higher growth higher risk which is e- exactly as it my should age, be right? your age
0: group um, and it can be you know it's one of the things we'll probably talk to when it comes to you know money maintenance in one of these episodes i'm sure um that it is important to revisit where your asset allocation mix might sit which you know if you say you're getting advice from mum and dad, and I mean, your dad's a great guy to have a bit of advice on most things in life with, but he's done well financially, so he'd have some great advice for you in terms of what to do the challenge is that he's looking through lenses that are obviously of a different generation to you from an age perspective, and so he may be more conservative than where you should be. So it's very, very important to make sure you're looking through the right lens for you at the right stage of the journey, that's for sure.
1: Well, speaking of absolute control, for the most part, Mm. AB, let's now dive down further to self-managed super funds or SMSFs Mm. as as they're commonly referred to as. Just for the benefit of our listeners, for anyone out there who may actually not be aware of what an
0: SMSF is, how do they work? Okay, so a self managed super fund is where um, you're the beneficiary. You're also the director and trustee of that fund as well. So effectively, you get to make all of the decisions over your retirement. And You know, you've seen I've seen an awful lot of people get set up with a self managed super that have got no business being in an SMSF for a couple of reasons. Number one, their account balance may be too low, or number two, their skill set or desire to want to manage it are a misfit. So, right off the bat, self managed super is not for everybody. Um, You need to have an interest in managing it because you are going to have to do that ultimately, uh, and you are going to need a a minimum balance to make it cost effective and no one, when you go online you look around no one's ever going to tell you oh this is what you should have I'm going to put a ballpark figure out there and I'm going to say 250 grand is probably the minimum balance you can start with a smaller balance but that's probably the threshold combined right in a household And, and I appreciate exactly right so I think you know for some people, they might go, well, I wish I had 250 grand in my super. But the great thing about self-managed super is that you can have uh, up to six members of that. So that could be your you and your partner and your four kids. If you've got four kids, um, one of mine's going to miss out. Um, but I'm sure they'll get looked after in a different way, um, <laughs> given we've got five kids. But you know, if you then combine the value of your partner and your super together, it probably should be over 250 grand. And if it's not, well, that's a very good reason to not be using the facility you currently are, because it's clearly not performing. If you've been working for 20 plus years, I appreciate one of you may have taken time off for a family, but if you've been working for 20 plus years and your super hasn't got up to that level, it's not going to get you to where you need to be in retirement either. So it's time to take steps. So about 250. Get yourself, uh, when you get up and running with that, um, effectively the structure that you have, you have a corporate, uh, you set up a company which is the trustee for the superannuation fund. The assets are then held within the super. You have total control with what you're doing within there. Um, Get advice on this. Talk to your accountant particularly as to the suit and and, and your planner and or accountant as to the suitability of this for you. But you get that uh, ability to have absolute control. And one of the areas I've seen a lot of people um, go to for self-managed super, and I don't necessarily think it's right, depends on their circumstance, is that ability to buy a property or properties within their super. So you can borrow within a superannuation fund. A lot of people don't realise you can do that. Yeah, so there's a there's there's a process behind this. We're not going to get into the nuts and bolts of that in this podcast, but it's something called a LRBA, which is a Limited Recourse Borrowing Agreement, which gives you the ability to borrow within your super to purchase a property. All right. So, you know, given property has been a big store of asset for many, many people and the property market overall has performed reasonably well, you'd argue that it's probably a good place. Some of the rules within super is you can't live in that property. Uh, there's, a, there's an overarching directive for superannuation called the sole purpose test, which means if you hold an asset within super, its sole purpose is to fund your retirement. If you happen to live in that house, it's a conflict of interest. It doesn't meet the sole purpose test, so you can't live in the house that you own within your super.
1: So if you have bought some, let's say, some collector's wine, for example, or maybe some art sole purpose <laughs> test, Yeah. You can access your super at what 55, 65, mm. thereabouts, depending, yeah, depending on your on, circumstances. Depending on your,
0: whether you're, when you've hit preservation age, fifty five to sixty years. Can you then go and start cracking into those bottles of wine at sixty <laughs> five? Well, again, if you've got wine stamps, artworks, and things like that, they've got to be stored off-site. You can't keep them in your house and enjoy the the benefits of a Van Gogh or uh, or a Matisse hanging on the wall. It's got to be stored somewhere that's not in your house for, for as, a, as a as a point. Now, I guess over the years, the ATO have done a very good job of managing the mm. fun out of this, but you know, it is important. It is there for a reason. So self-managed super is about 26% of the market, but when you look at the proportion of the population uh, that are involved with it, the actual member number is relatively low compared to industry super, but the average balance is significantly higher. So they tend to be used by people that are a little bit more wealthy, uh, and so the numbers are then skewed uh, accordingly. Uh, and, and look, if it if it's a fit for you, I think having, and, and, and as someone that's been at the sort of vanguard of financial literacy now for a couple of decades. If the shoe fits, I'd definitely put it on. If you've a desire to have more control over your future and you've been educated on how to invest or some of the processes that are required for super, I think self-managed super is is the place that you ought to be because you're ultimately in control of your own destiny there. The latitude that it then gives you um, in terms of your investment landscape that you can put money into and and, and to give some examples of that, if you're someone that perhaps is, uh, I'll give you an example of a buddy of mine. So he's got a self-managed super, the self-managed super own, uh, owns a yard. His business requires a yard for the various machinery uh, and the plant and equipment that he has for his business. So his business rents the yard off his super. Now, that's entirely legitimate, provided it's documented and you're charging the going rate in terms of the rent, but you've got the ability to get a tax deduction uh, within your company, because rent is a tax deduction, payable into your super, which is a low tax environment, and you've got an ability to then build an asset. Again, you've got to get advice on this sort of thing, and it's not about the rich getting richer and playing the system, they're the rules which are simply playing within the rule book. And They're the sorts of things that you can start to explore, uh, and they're quite commonly used get advice on it, make sure you don't tread over the line, and you always do the right thing. The other advantages of being able to bring your kids in because from a succession planning perspective, it can then be a very, very good asset protection vehicle uh, that lends itself well then to succession planning as well. So pretty important.
1: Speaking of which, to chat to that now. Three, I guess, key elements I want to ask you on all of this AB, taxation, asset protection and succession planning Mm -hmm. how do those
0: three fit into these kinds of different structures look super is taxed at 15 percent. that's the the the, the tax rate within uh within super so that's across and that's ubiquitous across all of those different structures um you can pay more into your super um, but there are various tax rules in australia if you earn over a certain amount then what you then put into your superannuation becomes taxed at, at, at your marginal rate, which is a little unfair, but that's just the way the system is. 27, uh, 27 27.5 grand, I think, is the current um, contribution cap in yep. terms of concessional contribution that you can put in. Again, these things will change over time. So again, it's always good to get advice. But 15% tax rate is what makes you know super relatively appealing compared to you know pretty much everything else that you can do in our country. Um, second part to that in terms of asset protection, the assets... Um, in a super fund belong to the super fund itself, not the individuals, because a super fund is its own legal entity. So if you were to have a self-managed super fund um, with, with your retirement savings in there and, and various other things, and, and you were to get sued, um, those assets aren't your personal assets. And so if somebody is suing you personally, they can sue you for your personal assets, but super is external to that. It's, uh, however, subject to family law. So if you go through okay. a separation, superannuation is typically something that will sit within the asset pool there. So there is a distinction from, from, from that perspective. And then succession planning is, you know, if you have an asset that you want to keep in your family over a period of time, the low-risk structure, then self-managed super can be a great way to do that. So, you know, have got an example of that as a client that owns a shopping, shopping mall. Okay. And uh, the kids are in there, it's a great renter, they don't want to sell it, and it just sits in there and it's just going to pass on that way.
1: It sounds like a fairly effective vehicle overall, super, really, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Particularly self-managed super fund for middle to high income earners over time. Yeah,
0: I think, again, and I'll be very careful with this given obviously some mainstream broadcasts going out to an awful lot of people and there's no one size fits all with this kind of thing, you've got to work out what's right for you at a given time. And I think, you know, if you look at the five or six phases of life, in the earlier phases just getting started is the most important thing to do, and then that middle phase is starting to consider your structuring to be more efficient and effective. There's no point considering how to be more efficient and effective if you haven't started. So getting into whatever a default super may look like for you, whether that be an industry super, and we haven't talked about you know corporate supers, for example, or, or, or government ones for that matter either. So you know if you if you work for certain companies, big companies, you know Qantas might be an example of that. They have their own internal superannuation fund for their staff, and they can be very very tax effective, and they can be very very good for their members. And I think if you work for a good quality company that has a well-regarded corporate super fund that can be a brilliant place to get started and really start to build your asset base up. Uh, and and I'm, I'm a huge advocate. I've seen numerous corporate schemes uh, and they typically work very, very well for the members, which is which is brilliant. Uh, the alternatives to that are some of the government supers out there, and we haven't talked about that yet. Um, it's a bit of a prickly area for, for some people, particularly our politicians who get additional amounts of contribution to their super which seems rather unjust but that's just uh, the way of the world right now where i think some of those government type supers can be excellent if we look at our defense force super here in australia for example um i think it's a 16 and a half percent contribution for our for our men and women in our defense forces and some people may look at that and go well that's a little unfair it should be the same for everyone and i'd argue that may well be the case but i think at the same time the men and women that serve for our country deserve a lot more than what they get. Uh, And I think it's great to see those Defence Force um, superannuation funds running in the way that they do. So they're unique outliers from the big three, but nonetheless, they're important ones. So sometimes there can be some big benefits to to being in a government super. Uh, Police officer would be another example of that, uh, where it makes sense to keep that there. But once you maybe finish in that industry, you might then look to other channels. So that might be great to get started. But as your level of knowledge and understanding uh, uh, changes, then there are other pathways that you can then go down as well key thing within super also is to understand about insurances because superannuation funds carry, for a lot of people, their life insurance and also TPD, Total Permanent Disability Insurance. And so before you go changing anything, it's very, very important to make sure that you get advice on how that's going to affect your insurance too because, um, you, you and there have been instances, I know people have gone online and tried to do it on the cheap and set up an online uh, self-managed super fund and they've then got the self-managed super fund set up and they do a rollover and pull all the cash out of their industry fund or their retail fund only to not be aware of the fact that their life insurance is also cancelled after they've rolled all their funds out and they're left without any life insurance and they don't work that out until a little bit too late in the piece. So it's very, very important to get good advice on these sorts of things. The key thing, to go back to it, is you have to have the easiest possible low friction way of getting started with any kind of investment. Just the same way when we talk about opening a broking account. Get open your own name, work out how it works, and then you might set up a company or a trust down the line, but get started. So whatever it takes to get started, industry or retail. And then over time, as your level of sophistication and life circumstances change, then you can revisit this. And life circumstances are really what financial planning is all about. You know, as a bachelor, as you are currently, uh, it may change, I'm sure, by the time this episode gets published. Um, oh, maybe- <laughs> come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, as a bachelor, you're a lone wolf right now. And I've lived in that lane for an awful large amount of my an awful long time of my life in that lane. A- and so you haven't had to worry about anything else. But then. As your circumstances change, maybe you get married and you have a family, by being able to pull your assets and do a rollover and set up a a family super, starts to become the next obvious thing along the chain. But that's then not necessarily now. Key thing is get started, understand where you're at, and then over time, morph things through so that it's in the optimal structure that suits you and what your objectives really sit at.
1: Beautiful. AB, well said. Couldn't have said it any better myself. There it is.
0: Superannuation ticked off the list. Beautiful. Super, super, super. Love it. Super effort. Thanks, AB. (laughs) Cheers, Mitch. Yeah, have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating, and we'll look forward to hosting you next week.